As a business leader, you know attracting top talent is just the beginning. Real growth happens when you lead yourself and others well. Creating a company culture that attracts, nurtures, and retains the best of all things. We'll teach you how to make an impact through a holistic leadership approach. Reframing success in leadership. This is the Talent Magnet Institute podcast. Hello, and welcome to the Talent Magnet Institute podcast. My name is Jessica Barron. I'm a vice president with Centennial Inc. And this is our way of helping leaders reframe success in leadership. The podcast has taken off very, very well. We actually had, I think, 10,000 downloads by this time. And so what we're trying to do is to help people throughout not just our community, but the world that listen to this podcast to understand what leaders are doing and how they are making a difference. And so today, we are absolutely delighted to welcome Jen Eismeyer. And Jen is the executive director at Camp Joy. She has been at Camp Joy since 2017, and she served for over five years as the executive director of the Mill Creek Watershed Council of Communities. And that's how I knew Jen when she was in Leadership Cincinnati. And we actually went to the watershed (laughs) and saw where the water intake was and some of the great work, the things that we totally take for granted and that our community organizations are really serving. So she has really strong experience in the public sector. And we're delighted to welcome her to the Talent Magnet Institute podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Jessica. My pleasure. Okay, Jen, we've given a little background here. Tell us a little bit, and let's start with Camp Joy. Tell me what Camp Joy is, what it means to the community. I know Camp Joy as an adult, with adults at Camp Joy, with the leadership programs, but that's just one small part of what Camp Joy does. So help our listeners understand. Sure. So we were founded in the West End neighborhood of Cincinnati in the summer of 1937 after the devastating floods of that year. There was a real need to get kids out of the city where they were cramped. They were almost discarded into a place of joy in nature. So our founding value really was nature is a nurturing healing space. There were 12 kids who were essentially piled into the back of a pickup truck and taken out into the woods for that first summer of camp. We have one of our original campers from 1937. His name is Frank Wettenkamp, and he tells amazing stories about his experience at Camp Joy and what his life was like. So uh, we've been around for 81 years, providing outstanding experiences for people of all ages now to experience the healing power of nature and to challenge themselves in a safe space. And how did it grow from 12 young people to how many acres now? We have 317 acres in Clarksville, Ohio, which is out I-71, and we serve 13,000 people a year. And I was one of those people that Jen served, and I got lost every time I went there, just so you know. (laughs) You're not alone. You're not alone. (laughs) Oh, I have stories. I remember our CEO at the time when I was working at the Chamber of Commerce in Cincinnati, and Ellen Vanderhorst was coming out. She wanted to say hello to the Leadership Cincinnati class, and she came out, and she came out in high heels to Camp Joy. Well, there's no cement at Camp Joy. It's all... no. 
dirt and, you know, everything. Right. But in the meantime, she had a hard time getting there. So we were trying to get her in, get her. But by the time she finally got in there to say hello to the leadership class, it, we were just like, it's okay, Ellen. It's fine. <laughs> and she herself had been in leadership in Cincinnati. Yeah. So she'd been out there before. But it is a little bit of a challenge to get to. Do you remember that when we were at Camp Joy for my leadership Cincinnati class, class 38, that I was late. I couldn't find it either. And I called and I couldn't really get directions, but eventually I made it. And by the time I walked in, I was so intimidated, not because I was at Camp Joy, but because I was this little nonprofit. The Mill Creek Watershed Council was a tiny little environmental nonprofit. And I was very intimidated by the people in the room. I mean, these were to me, you know, big folks and my entire budget was a rounding error and everyone else's. So I'm late. I can't find it. And we have that big Circle. space in the PNG Welcome Center. There was one chair left and I had to jog across the room in front of everyone. The program had already started to get into my seat. You don't remember that? I'm you so know, glad you don't. It's so interesting <laughs> because that, of course, had such meaning to you. Yeah. But to anyone else in the room, they probably didn't notice it as much as you did. And I was like, oh, my gosh, not only am yeah. I, I hardly can even claim to be worthy to even be in this room with all these people. I can't even find it. <laughs> well, we're going to talk about that worthy word a little more later. But I wanted to share with you, you actually did We Succeed, which is one of the women's executive programs at the Chamber. We found, both in We Lead and We Succeed, and I actually interviewed Tamara Lang for this podcast, and she said, all the women walk in. And they don't feel worthy. And they look around and they say, everybody else has it together and I don't. And I just like, I am so intimidated. And what they find, and I'm sure you did as well in your class, is that as you talk to people, everybody feels the same way. Nobody really feels like they've got their stuff together as much as other people look like they do. And that is the beauty of the connections that we build in those programs. I know I sound like I still work for the Cincinnati USA <laughs> Regional Chamber, and I don't, but it is a passion of mine. And these leadership programs really have done so much good and so many wonderful things, including Jen Eismeyer. <laughs> I, was, I was very fortunate to be part of it when I was relatively young and you know, very much a small-time CEO. I couldn't believe that I had the opportunity to do it. And that program, starting out at Camp Joy, changed the trajectory of my career, and it changed the way I think about myself as a leader. Tell me more about that. Well, what my responsibility is to be giving back to the community. I have resources. I have capacity. And I may not have the same resources as someone who's in a corporate space, but it doesn't matter. What that experience taught me is that I do have a responsibility, no matter how small I am but to really be mindful of what the community needs are and to be one way or another giving back. And your passion is infectious. And I've seen it in both directions, from people who are not-for-profits and are looking at the corporate participants there and saying, ooh, I, you know, I'm a rounding error in their budget. And I'm looking at it from the executives from major banks and major institutions. And I remember one currently a CEO, saying, you know, when I first came here, I didn't understand why we had people from small not-for-profits participating in this program. I thought I was going to just be networking with all my peers that are executives in large corporations. And halfway through the program, this person said, oh, was I wrong? 
I didn't understand the impact of having different voices in the room. Mm -hmm. And that is the excitement of the participation. So I'm very pleased because my boss, <laughs> Mike Sipple, is in the leadership class this year, and he's having these aha moments, and it was wonderful. When you were in the class, you may or may not know this, but Dan Hurley was the director of Leadership Cincinnati at the time, and you were his pet. Oh, you were. That makes me feel so you good. You were his favorite. I heard your name so many times, and I said, all right, already, all right. That is so kind of Dan. And so he really saw the potential in you. And then, of course, your career as it started to grow, and you became the executive director of Camp Joy, which was made us all very proud. One of the things about Camp Joy that, you know, I always saw it from the leadership perspective. I was there four times a year. Love Camp Joy. It's actually, I've moved away and I'm no longer with the chamber and I live in New York. One of the things I miss is going out to Camp Joy four times a year. I really do. It was, you know, because we went with a different group each time and you would see people just sort of growing and getting to know each other. It was just wonderful. But the other population that comes to Camp Joy of the young people are not necessarily as well equipped to handle some of those leadership activities. And some of them are children that are frail and fragile. Tell us who is there, how you help them, and how the programs and even the residences and the facilities differ for them. Sure. We're a year-round facility. So we are serving people in schools, in our camps programs in the summer, and then we serve adults through leadership development. How many employees, Jen? We have 50 year-round staff, and then we have who are either full-time or part-time at the facility. We have a pool of about 50 adjunct staff for various positions that we pull them in for. And then seasonally for camps, we bring in about 80 or 90 camp staff. It is a wonderful team. I cannot tell you how enjoyable it is to work with the people of Camp Joy. I am very lucky that they let me stick around. They're a great, they're a great group. And we have a lot of people who are working at Camp Joy who had an experience at Camp Joy at some point in their life, just like I did. I came as an adult through Leadership Cincinnati, and now I'm at Camp Joy. And there's a real richness to the experiences of the staff, and I think that's really important in us being able to provide meaningful experiences and to connect with the people that we're serving. So our first year of camp in 1937, we were serving kids who were really living in poverty in Cincinnati. We've since expanded in a number of ways, but on the camp side, we now have what we call specialty camp. And those are camps for, we have a terrific partnership with Children's Hospital. And I've been so inspired by the staff at Children's who are so connected to their patients. And we are very fortunate that we're able to provide week-long residential camp experiences for kids with medical conditions, diabetes, amputees, cancer, blood disorders, heart conditions. And the experiences for those kids can be really tough in the day-to-day. -day. It's almost like living in an alternate universe. And even for something like diabetes where, you know, it's not visible on the outside and maybe it doesn't seem like a big deal, but there's a pretty serious link between the diagnosis of diabetes and depression. And I think it can be very difficult for a kid to have, you know, they're monitoring their sugar and they're, they're testing at meals. Other kids are like, what are you doing? I think it's just wearying to be different. And if you're different because you have diabetes or different because you're an amputee, different because you're homeless, there's all kinds of ways that kids are different. 
And what we do at Camp Joy, and we do it really well, is that we provide a space where those worries, they disappear because people have a shared experience and they're able to really let all those worries fade away and have fun. It's amazing. And And a lot of inner city youth Mm -hmm. attend there as well, which gets back to your original purpose Mm -hmm. of getting the kids out of the floods, so to speak. And that presents other issues. Some of the lower income, some of the marginalized Mm -hmm. young people aren't accustomed to being in a group like that. I remember some of the physical space was an issue Mm -hmm. for some of them. It's a different experience to be outdoors and to essentially be free and to be challenging yourself. And, you know, maybe for some kids, they really haven't had an adult or someone in their life say to them, hey, I think you can do it. And that can be pretty mind-blowing for the people around a child to say, hey, we think you can do this, and to be supporting that child in meeting his or her goal, which, you know, they said it's just a very safe, nurturing space. And I think at our core, what we do really well is we meet people where they are. We're great at it. Wherever you are in your journey, we are there with you. And on the kids we serve in our school programs and camps, we're serving about 11,000 kids a year. And I cannot commend the team, the staff enough and really all the years of history of Camp Joy to creating this space, this experience where we're really able to kind of wrap a child or an adult up and give them this place of joy. We're right where we were when we started. It's a far journey from the watershed. <laughs> it is. Yes, it is. We're not in the Mill Creek watershed anymore. Yeah, you're not in, in Kansas anymore. Yeah. Even in the adult programs, I saw a lot of vulnerability. Mm-hmm. There were leaders for every program, and I was over responsible for all the programs. And so I got to step back a little bit and sort of see what was going on. And you would see people who you, on the surface, looked very, very secure in this, like, whoa, maybe he's not as secure as he thought he was. You know, it's like that pamper pole is really intimidating. It's interesting for adults. I mean, when I came out to Camp Joy, I was personally was not intimidated by Camp Joy. I wasn't intimidated by challenge courses or being outdoors or camping, but that was not at all true of some of my colleagues in class. And for a lot of adults, it's very much the unknown. Where are we going to be sleeping? What are we going to be eating? I'm afraid of heights. What am I going to have to do? There are different vulnerabilities in adults than there are in the kids that we work with. And I think from an organizational standpoint, there's going to two models that we have when we serve adults. One is the Leadership Cincinnati model where adults are going to embark on some kind of journey together. So for Leadership Cincinnati, we're going to go through this leadership program, which is very intense. We serve medical residents. They're about to start on their residencies together. So it's almost, I describe it as going back to college. You get together, you bond intensely, and then you're off and running on wherever you want to go. The other approach is that it's some kind of organizational group, and they're coming out together for some organizational objective. And in those cases, what Camp Joy does straight away, it's an immediate level set. So the patterns of behavior that may have hindered a team before they got to Joy are immediately disrupted. And so you're primed before we've even done one activity or even started talking. We've already primed the group for growth in the way that 
they want to generate long-term impact. I remember that in most of the leadership classes, by the time they left, they said, can we come back? <laughs> yes. Yes. And John said, yes, yes, they can. My class wants to come back. So we're, those campfire experiences does. are amazing. It's the bonding. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, you know, getting to know somebody and that shared experience and the networks and the relationships that are built beginning from that first day of having to walk across the circle. <laughs> Sitting Jog the across to the chair, last chair. The last chair in the room. Total doofus over here. That's just the beginning of a lifelong relationship. When you say that you went to Camp Joy and you never thought you were going to be the executive director, I actually was a participant in Leadership Cincinnati. We're not even going to talk about what class it was because it was <laughs> in the single digits and we're at 42 now. But I never dreamt that I would be responsible for programs that had that kind of impact. So you never know where your leadership journey. And believe it or not, I still stay in contact with some of the people from my class and classes going forward. I love that. So that is, we had this conversation about, is Facebook inherently evil? <laughs> or, no comment. Or LinkedIn. Not that, that I find that Facebook is how I can keep in touch with people mm -hmm. who I already have a relationship with so that I do see what's going on in their lives. It's not a substitute for human interaction. But some of that stuff started way back when. <laughs> <laughs> way, way back when. Okay. So we talked about the different populations that have gone to Camp Joy, and I think it's important for people to know, how is Camp Joy organized, funded? How do you keep doing all the good stuff you're doing? So we are a 501c3 nonprofit organization. Mm -hmm. We have a foundation, so we have a traditional development team, a fundraising arm. And then we also offer a suite of programs that are customized programs for schools or for Leadership Cincinnati or company or nonprofit groups. So we have a portfolio of programs that we provide that are all experience-based. That's our approach to team building. Team building looks different for kids than it does for adults, of course, but we have a essentially a revenue-driven component as well as our fundraised dollars. And the, the fundraising goes directly for those mission-driven programs for both kids and adults, but primarily for kids to be able to come to camp. A terrific recent example in our school program is Roberts Academy and Academy of World Languages, both of whom just came out. We served over 100 kids who had never been to camp before, who just came from a board meeting this morning, and we were reading letters of thanks. Actually, this was a group from North College Hill that came out in December, but reading letters of thanks from the participants, and they're saying things like, I've never been to camp before. I really appreciate that you allowed us to come. We want to come back. I talked to people that I would never have even thought that I could have been friends with. That's the kind of thing that from a mission-driven standpoint, we really want to be supporting. That kind of impact is what we want to be having. So there's broad community support. I know that you have a board mm -hmm. and you're very careful about making sure that you have a good assortment of people on the board. Is there any public funding for this? No. All private. Okay. I have to think about that for a minute. No. I give you a, a really fast no. There are some... Public funding for some other initiatives like our Natural Resources Utilization Initiative, mm -hmm. but not a lot. And it's not funding the mission-driven work. We have a lot of foundation support mm -hmm. and really outstanding individual donor support, and we very much appreciate that. Yeah, awesome. Okay, so that's how we get to provide all the sources. So I told you we were going to get back to Worthy. 
Mm-hmm. Now I want to talk about worthy. In my conversation early on with Jen, she said, I love what I do. I'm really passionate about it. But I'm so concerned about the legacy that I'm going to leave there. And I don't feel like I'm worthy of the role that I'm playing now. Now, in my experience, with several thousand leaders having gone through programs that we developed and put on, it was the leaders that really were worthy that had more doubts and were concerned about the impact that they were having. Do you find that with your colleagues that that's a conversation and that you have anybody else that understands your feelings there? I do. Yes. So I feel very much like I'm humbled to be part of the history of Camp Joy. It was pretty revolutionary at the time to take kids out of the west end of Cincinnati and take them to camp. Just like it was radical thinking for us to desegregate and have white children and black children swimming in the same swimming pool. Those were pretty challenging things to do at the time, but Camp Joy and those early leaders have been on the right side of history 100%. -hmm. I am very humbled to be part of that lineage of people at Camp Joy who have done radical things that have been difficult to do in their time. And I can only hope that my contributions are even half of what the people who came before me have contributed. I have doubts all the time. I feel like I know less now than I did a year ago in some ways. And it's a funny place to be. I'm very fortunate to have a lot of connections with other CEOs, both from Leadership Cincinnati, and I'm in a Vistage group. And so that's a pretty eclectic bunch of of CEOs from nonprofit organizations and manufacturing and for-profits and all kinds of different industries. And there's a commonality that it it's a little lonely. And I think all of us kind of feel like, how did we get here and how are we making good decisions? It's been very helpful to have those conversations with other executive directors and really try to do my best, the best that I can to invest and camp joy in a way that's going to keep it around being awesome for at least another 82 years. Well, I'll be waving to you. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) From somewhere. (laughs) Yeah. And I think that comment that you just made about it, it's lonely. I hear a lot from leaders that the higher you are in an organization, the less peers that you have that you can be vulnerable with. After all, people are looking at you, your subordinates, and saying, she doesn't get it. How am I supposed to get it? You know? And so you really can't open up. But do you have, besides Vistage, which I know is uh, really super, in fact, I think I was instrumental in getting you were instrumental (laughs) yes it was all you I am a very big believer (laughs) in getting support from your peers and Jen will tell you that but there are other ways of getting support from your peers also and in fact you're going to be contributing to securing the future which is a program that is for -for not-for-profits and the leaders that are on the board of not-for-profits to increase their resources it's like a half a day program And it used to be a chamber program, and now Jenny Berg is running it, and she's doing a phenomenal job. She is. Yes. And you and one of your colleagues. Jen Gooden. Jen Gooden. Who's the CEO of Donald House. Well, it's a funny thing. Jen and I met a couple of years ago over breakfast. We really like our origin story. We were kind of talking about, essentially, we were talking about fundraising and how we were nobodies. Both of us feel like we're nobodies. We're both Cincinnati natives, but 
she's from Coleraine Township and I'm from Springfield Township. If anyone listening knows what either one of those townships are, I salute you. Let and, me uh, just interrupt real quickly by saying that Jen Gooden is the executive director or CEO, I'm not sure what her title is, of the Ronald McDonald House in Cincinnati. And they're in the middle of, a, I think, a construction stage, an expansion stage, mm-hmm. which will make them the largest Ronald McDonald House in the United States. Okay, so these are not insignificant projects, nor is Camp Joy. In fact, I live right around the corner from a Ronald McDonald House, and it pales in comparison to what Jen Gooden is responsible for. She's been amazing. She's been there, I think, for 24 years, certainly over 20 years. And what she's been able to accomplish is extraordinary. They have so many families living in their house, and of course, they're going to be able to serve so many more. That's so important. I mean, I cannot even imagine the alternate universe that a family is thrust into when they have a child who is receiving medical treatment. And kind of like Camp Joy is a nurturing space, Ronald McDonald House, and that house in particular in Cincinnati, is just such a wonderful place. to be. It feels great to go in there. Mm-hmm. How really, did you meet each other? Well, we met over breakfast. It was Brent Seelmeyer, who used to be executive director of Boys and Girls Club in Cincinnati, who suggested that we meet. We live in the same community. And so we had this breakfast and, you know, we're getting on very well. And we get to the end and we're talking about how we're, you know, both from Cincinnati. And I said, yeah, I'm just from Springfield Township. I have no pedigree. I'm a nobody. And I said, yeah, I used to twirl baton. And she's like, really? I used to twirl baton too. So it came out that we had the same baton teacher and we just missed each other when we were kids, but we had done a lot of baton twirling. And so we sort of never looked back. It's kind of a funny thing. I mean, we don't want to take ourselves too seriously. So, and, you know, baton twirling at this point in our lives is a completely pointless skill. It's like remembering the lyrics to a Bananarama song. I don't need that. I could much more use that bandwidth for something much more valuable. But it's just been great fun to get to know her and sort of explore how we're different as leaders. Certainly, Jen is very effective, and I hope that I'm effective. But we have a very different approach. And when we started talking about leadership, we were thinking about the upcoming summit and just kind of threw down on paper quickly, what are the things that are important to us as leaders? I mean, we really just kind of, she was just scribbling it down as we were talking, and we were struck by how the things that are important to us as leaders, even though we're very different leaders, are really similar. That was actually really encouraging to me as we were talking. Like, you know, I feel really good about these things. And I'm not suggesting that I'm great at all of them because I am not. But it actually is really a boost to have shared leadership values with another leader that I have so much respect for. Including twirling a baton. And the twirling the baton. I love her even more that she could twirl the baton. And in the promotion <laughs> video, which Jen emailed me, I will say that not only the twirling batons, but the twirling batons that are on fire. Which is another exciting little twist. <laughs> I mean, baton <laughs> twirling can get pretty boring, Which so I let's set them on fire. I think that the imagery <laughs> is uh, totally appropriate because when you're working for any organization and a large not-for-profit is in particular, you sometimes feel like you're twirling a baton <laughs> on fire, I'm sure. <laughs> well, it's a funny thing. <laughs> yeah. You have actually gotten together with Jen and Jen and Jen, one N and two Ns, to try to help other not-for-profits. And you put together what you've referred to as a not-for-profit leadership manifesto. Um, So some collective thoughts on building and supporting a high-performance team. And we're not going to go through and read the whole thing, but what's that all about? It's really just about what are the things that guide us 
as we're leading our organizations? What are the values that are important to us as leaders? And I was really struck by how similar, you know, when she would say something, it really resonated with me. I was sort of like my heart was singing. That's really important to me as a leader too. These are the kind of beacons that I hope are guiding me as I'm really trying to lead. And that's true for Jen too. Although there are some things on there. This is a joint list. You know, we put this together collectively. So there are a couple things on there that I feel pretty vulnerable about, and they're not my strengths. And so I have to pay special attention to those things because, for instance, I enjoy taking risks, calculated risks, but I really enjoy that. Jen really feels strongly in be a family. And so even though we're certainly she's very effective and I'm hoping to reach that level of effectiveness, we just have different strengths and weaknesses. But all of these things, this is the universe of things that are important to us. I see that on the bottom. I'm not supposed to read the whole thing, but I am going to read one sentence. It's in bold and it's at the bottom of the manifesto and it says, believe your work is important. And I think that's a message for everyone. You know, if you get up in the morning and by the time you go to sleep, you don't believe you did anything important in that day. What does that say about how you spent your time? It's soul crushing. You know, it's analogous to some of the kids who come to camp and they've never had someone say to them, I think you can do it. What a waste. I mean, I just can't think of anything more soul crushing than that. And I feel like as an adult, it's very important to feel like the work that you're doing is meaningful. When I was at the Watershed Council and just starting out and we had really not a lot in the way of resources. I had six months of money to pay myself which only came to light after I had taken the job. And I remember going into rooms and just almost being laughed out of them and really finding strength in that underdog position. Nobody expected anything of me. And I had people who were helping me kind of build me up, hopefully like we're doing for the kids who are coming to joy and starting to kind of build that strength a little bit and really having for myself to say, you know what, this work is important to me. And regardless of what anybody is saying or how often they're laughing at me or telling me that I'm going to blow it or, you know, we're not going to be around in a year or whatever, this is meaningful. I've got to stay the course. And that is hard. It's hard to do. And I hope that for the team at Camp Joy that I'm able to sustain them when there are days that are difficult. Jen, what else would you like to tell us about your role, about what you're peeps there. Welcome any stories. Of course, we remember stories. Is there anything else you would like us to remember about this conversation? I appreciate the opportunity. Thank you so much. And I have an amazing leadership team. It's been, you know, I came to Camp Joy from the outside. And I've been very fortunate that I have this close leadership team and we (laughs) get together on a weekly basis And we talk about fundamentals every week. So we have a culture initiative and each week we focus on a different behavior. The behavior this week is have fun. You know, we're having this conversation on Tuesday and I prompted the group. I'm like, all right, let's talk about having fun. And I got kind of a whole lot of blank, whatever. I got nothing. I'm like, come on. What are you talking about? You work for Camp Trump. You're not having any fun. (laughs) And so... They whip out that baton twirling video, and they're all having fun. <laughs> a little bit at my expense. You, but this I, will probably play after the <laughs> Securing the Future conference, but maybe it'll be online at some point so that our listeners can see you and Jen in action twirling your batons. 
But, you know, it's they are having fun and they're poking fun at me. And I think that's part of really being a good leader is that I've got people around me who challenge me a little bit. And they keep me from taking myself too seriously or forgetting what I'm there for. I'm very, very fortunate. Jen Eismeyer, we started this conversation and we started a, even preparation for it by you saying, I don't feel worthy. <laughs> and I challenge our listeners to share with me, my feelings are that you're not only worthy, but you're very worthy and making a huge difference in people's lives, both the colleagues that you work with, both the people that you serve and the greater community. So I thank you for coming and sharing your perspective with us at the Talent Magnet Institute, which is our opportunity to help leaders reframe success. And reframing success may be having fun. <laughs> That's imperative. So thank you for coming. This is Jessica Barron. I'm a vice president with Centennial Inc. And thank you for sharing our Talent Magnet podcast today. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate the opportunity. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Talent Magnet Institute podcast. Make sure you subscribe so you never miss an episode and help spread the word by leaving a review. The Talent Magnet Institute podcast is powered by Centennial, a talent strategy and executive search firm, and the Talent Magnet Institute. You can engage with us at Talent Magnet I on Twitter or Talent Magnet Institute on LinkedIn and Facebook. Please communicate by using hashtag Talent Magnet. Find us in your favorite podcast app to subscribe, rate, and leave a review, as well as share with a colleague. You can also listen at talentmagnetpodcast.com. Our podcast studio is based in greater Cincinnati, Ohio. We are supported by our listeners, clients, and partners from all over the world. The Talent Magnet Institute podcast is made possible by a great team that includes Janelle Spence and Christine Lewis of Centennial, Josh Chappelle and Adam Smith of Soundpress, produced by Chris Madine of New Fidelity Studios, and Audra Casino and Megan Doherty of One Stone Creative. Music written by DJ Corbett and Chris Madine. And myself, your host, Mike Sipple Jr. Thank you for joining us on the journey of developing leaders to succeed in relationships, work, community, and life, reframing success in leadership.